If you have been a first-time guest the last three weeks, you're wondering why this church has such an old preacher. And the answer is they don't. I, I've just been privileged to step in for a few weeks. Um, my much younger friend, Wade Hodges, is the preaching minister. And uh, Wade is here today. I wanted to tell you, I kind of, I talked about him behind his back a couple of weeks ago to tell you what I think of his preaching, his ministry skills. So I want you to know, last night he and I went to dinner and we talked about you behind your back. And uh, it's really a delightful thing as, as an older minister and somebody who maybe was in a mentoring role at one time to hear somebody speak of his church. Uh, the way he spoke of Preston Road. Fills me with hope and gives me joy to know the stability and the long period this church has been here as leaven and light. And so that it's a joyful thing for me. And if you're just dropping in today, maybe you remember and you've been gone the last couple of weeks, this is the third in a, a little series I decided to do on Jacob. Which is odd because he's not one of the sterling characters in scripture. He's, he's influential for sure. But it's pretty hard to go tracking down the moral examples you want to follow in Jacob. But somehow I keep being drawn back to the story of Jacob. There's some authenticity in it. There's some real humanity there. And above all, there is a blessing that keeps breaking through. I find it odd that we use the word Israel daily. I guess because the Middle East is a constant powder keg waiting to explode, we hear the word Israel all the time. The nation of Israel, the Israeli government, the Israeli army. The We just get used to it like a nation's name. But we can forget that every time we speak the name Israel, we're remembering an actual person. And it's odd to me which one we're remembering. I'm thinking if we name the people of God, we ought to call them Abraham. Not that he was always on top of things faithfully. But he did leave all to follow the call of God. And the blessing was to Abraham and his descendants. But they're not the nation of Abraham. Or maybe Moses, the giver of the law, the leader of the Exodus. You'd think maybe they could be called the people of Moses. But of all the characters to choose from, it's not the man that received the blessing. It's not his son. It's his second-born grandson by his second-born son. And not only that, not only do we evoke the memory of a man, but we specifically evoke the memory of a story. And again, I'm thinking if I want to name the people out of a story from the Old Testament, I might call them creation, the people of creation. What a great theme that is and what a great story. God speaking the world into existence and filling it with his love. Or call them the Exodus, that, that peak moment of the Old Testament. These are the people of Exodus. Or the giving of the law. Just... Think of all the great stories you could choose, but it wasn't any of them. When we say the name Israel today, we are evoking the memory, well, we're about to read it, of one of the oddest stories in the Old Testament. So take your Bibles, if you have one, and turn them to 
Genesis 32. If you came without a Bible, that's fine. These words will be on the screen. But just keep in mind, every time you hear your favorite newscaster speak about Israel, there is an echo of what we're about to read. And just before I read, beginning in verse 22, I want you to listen as I read these words over you from Hosea. So this is centuries later. The prophet Hosea says, In the womb, Jacob grabbed his brother's heel and he wrestled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. So that little summary was reverberating centuries later in Scripture. But now let's read the actual story. Genesis 32, beginning in verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. And after he sent them across the stream, he sent over his possessions and So Jacob, listen to this, so Jacob was all alone. And yet a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what's your name? And he said, heel grabber. Remember, that's what Jacob means. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it's because I saw God in Hebrew, panim apanim, which is what Peniel comes from, face to face. And yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. I tell you, I don't know if we've got a sermon this morning, but we've got a text. So... Let's see what leaps forth. Let's pray. Stir our imaginations today, O God. Open our hearts. And may this old story of Israel, one who struggles with God, may this old story live afresh in the church today. And toward that end, I pray, God, that you will pour through me now the gift of preaching. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
It's right at the beginning of verse 24, and you heard me move through it slowly because there's something about that. Jacob is all alone. I've been a long time since he'd been all alone. He had all the drama that was there growing up, and then he had all the drama there with Laban, and all the drama with his 11 sons and his two wives and two concubines, and all of that's now. And he's moving toward meeting Esau. He's taken them across the river, and he comes back in here for a moment. He's all alone. And all alone always sounds fun until you're all alone sometimes. Because when you're all alone in, an, in a moment of tension, it's hard to just play those games that, that make you escape the reality you're in. I went hiking several mornings this week, too, just outside Portland. And it's funny, if you run into somebody in the depths of the woods, everybody's got earbuds on. It's like, really? We'll do anything to escape just being with ourselves, just being alone, because there's something frightening about that. When he's alone, it's a little harder to blame everything on Isaac, who loved him less than his brother Esau. It's hard to blame everything on Esau. You start to realize, yeah, I contributed that. You can't blame everything on your father-in-law twice over Laban. When you're all alone with your own addictions and your own questions and your fears and your anxieties, it's hard to escape. And those tend to be pivotal moments in your life. I'm guessing you've had some of those and I know I have. And I know my own tendency is try to get out of there as quickly as possible. Avoid the alone because when you're right there, you've got to decide things like, am I sort of a believer or am I a believer? He's sitting there all alone. And as he's all alone, I know that he's... He's got to have things swirling through his mind. He's got to be swirling backwards, thinking about these last 20 years with Laban. These two riverboat gamblers with one another, trying to out-deceive each other. First over wives, and then over flocks. And, and it even ends poorly, because he grabs things that didn't belong to him. He and his family, and they skedaddled out of town to go back. Laban, in fact, has chased them down and there was some negotiation there. But he's got to be thinking about that. Thinking back to how he thought he was marrying Rachel and it turned out to be Leah. And then he married Rachel. And then the baby mama contest began. First with Leah, with Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. I had all week to work on this. Let's see if I can get him. And then... Rachel can't get pregnant, so she offers her handmaid, Billa, who has Dan and Naphtali, I believe. And then Leah offers her handmaid, Zilpah, who has Gad and Asher, back to Leah, who gets pregnant again, and has Issachar and Zebulun. And if you're keeping count, it's now Team Leah 8, Team Rachel 2. And then finally, Rachel herself gets pregnant. And she names the baby Give me another one, which is what Joseph means. So he's got now his two wives, 
His two concubines, eleven sons, all these flocks and all the deceits, and he's running back away. And he's got to be thinking forward to Esau. Last he knew, Esau was not a happy twin brother. The last thing Esau had said was, uh, how well is he named Jacob, heel grabber. That's what he's like. He's just a heel grabber. And when dad dies, I will kill him. 20 years. 20 years is a long time. 20 years is enough time to quench the flame of fury. But 20 years is also enough time to fan the embers so that it's now a roaring fire. And he's not sure what he's getting into. He, he's, he's sending, he hears Esau's coming with 400 men and, and he's trying to send word ahead. He, he texts him, still mad, bro? He doesn't know yet what the answer to that is. So right before bedtime, he sends all of his wives and concubines, all of his sons, all of his flocks to the south side of the Jabbok. I think he misunderstands the phrase women and children first. And then he stays on the north side, alone, all alone, Laban behind, Esau ahead. But hopefully alone, he's going to realize, my problem is not back there. My problem is not up there. My problem's not ultimately that daddy loved me less and mama loved me more. It's not my brother, not his sister. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. He's all alone. And then, bam! Sorry, I saw some of you fading. Then, bam! <laughs> Something hits him in the night. And they, they go tumbling, chest to chest, arm to arm, elbow to elbow. They're just tumbling on the banks of the Jabbok River. Who, who is this? Is it some river god? Maybe, es maybe Laban has come back and jumped him in the night. Maybe Esau has snuck away from his 400 men and he's getting an advance on him. Who is this? He's rustling in the night all through the night. It's a kind of crazy text. We don't even wind up knowing exactly who it is ourselves because sometimes it calls him a man, sometimes it calls him an angel, and sometimes it says it was God. Some kind of incarnation, some kind of presence of God in this wrestling match. So he's wrestling through the night in some sense with God. Rolling around with God, and it basically comes to a draw. Which, by the way, if you wrestle God to a draw, call it a win. Because you think, what weight class does God wrestle in? What moves does God know? The full Nelson is nothing when you're wrestling with God. And they wrestle through the night. It's now starting to get to morning, and this other person says to him, Let me go, for it's daybreak. Which sounds very vampirish, you know, doesn't it? That's odd. But in between there, when it looks like a draw, 
God or the angel or the man reaches out and boom, touches him. Maybe with a knee right up against the hip. You can hear the sinews tearing and breaking. When I, when I read that, I, I think of Elvis singing the old Gaither song, He touched me. Oh, he touched me, and oh, the joy that filled my soul. Listen, you don't always want to be touched by God. Or maybe you do. It depends on where you want your life to go. And so he touches that hip, tearing it. He says... You've got to let me go. It's daylight. And Jacob, though, he's hurting below the waist. He has the wherewithal to hang on for dear life. And he says, you bless me first. And it makes you wonder if maybe there's going to be a moment of redemption in this story. Because now Jacob, who formerly had said, God, if you will do this and this and this and this, then you get to be my God. Now maybe he's leaving the old God and the genie bottle behind. Maybe he's leaving God, the transactional promising God behind. Maybe he's just volunteering to enter into the story of God rescuing the world, which is what this blessing of Abraham is about. It's not the blessing of more herds and more wives and more sons. It's the blessing of being chosen by God for the purposes of God in this world. Now, truthfully, he never becomes like a sterling character afterwards, but at least at the moment, I love that he says, I won't let you go until I've been blessed. So the other one, this God figure says, what's your name? I suppose God would know that, but maybe Jacob needs to say it. And he remembers the other story where they told him that he was grabbing the heel of his brother from the very beginning, trying to get through the birth canal first so he could be the firstborn son. And he said, my name is Jacob, heel grabber. And this other God says, from now on, your name will be he who struggles with God, the God wrestler. And that's why every time we hear that on the news about something happening in Israel, we've lost the conscious memory of that in our society. But we know that behind that is this story that Jacob, the deceiver, the river gambler, is now suddenly blessed by one who says to him, you are not just Jacob, you are God wrestler. Before this, God had been a commodity to Jacob he was one more way to deal the cards so that he could get what he wants. But now maybe we're moving at least for the moment where God is not the commodity. God is the one in whom he will have a place, a new name, a blessing. And when it's over, Jacob limps away. He limps out to meet his twin brother, which goes better than he feared it might. And then he limps to Shechem where he buys some land where a well is put, where Jesus later met a woman in John chapter 4. And then he limped to Bethlehem where he gathered stones to mark the grave, kind of in the middle of nowhere, for his beloved wife Rachel. 
And then he limped back to Bethel, and then he limped to Hebron, until finally he limped down into Egypt, where his son Joseph was in charge. That limp stayed with him. And so significant is that story, the writer says, that's why we, the people of Israel, don't eat that part of the hip, which you may know is still true of Orthodox Jews today. Their butchers have to be trained in making sure that that part of the hind part is not presented for sale. All right, that's the story. Now, now this. As odd as this story is, there is no other story in the Old Testament that has loomed as large in my own faith journey as this one. It keeps speaking to me. It keeps being a companion for me because what has surprised me, what I would not have known when I was a young ministry student, is that much of my life has felt like a wrestling with God. There's the wrestling that came when pieces of my simple assurance I had as a young man were unraveling a bit. And and it wasn't from reading Scripture less, it was from reading it more. There were complications and jars and clashes that that I had to personally work through. And by the way, if you've never had to do that, I that's wonderful because it probably means some of your joy has spilled over into my life. And I thank you for that. But for me, there were those times of disorientation and wrestling and grappling and some of the things that I thought you could take to the bank, like God's sort of protective bubble around those who believe. Because if you ask in prayer, it'll be given to you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Those kind of things started falling off. The protective bubble got burst. And it didn't matter how hard I prayed for my daughter to get well, she didn't. When I had to pray for her at her grave and when I sat alone at that grave for many years at different times, it felt like wrestling. And, and I know, I know you've been there in some ways or another. When, when you prayed for your own marriage, <laughs> get healed and it didn't? When you, when you prayed for a diagnosis to be the best news possible and it wasn't? When you got fired? When a church disappointed you? When your kids didn't pick up the baton of faith and run with it? I know there are those times when it just feels like there is a restless grappling with God all through the night, agonizing in prayer, agonizing in faith, so much so that at times I too just want the earbuds in, just want to be distracted. And that's in many ways how we get in trouble because some of the ways we get distracted are dramatic and harmful. But it's not because we want to be evil, it's because we cannot take the ringing in our ears of all of this dissonance. It's a wrestling, wrestling. But I've also found that the story is true. That in this wrestling, there is a kind of blessing that can come if, you, if you'll open your ears to listen 
It's the blessing that comes from knowing that this life is not ultimately about God putting a protective bubble around me. It is about growing in depth of relationship with God and with others. And you know that's true, those of you who've been married a long time, that if I ask you, tell me about your marriage, if you just give me all the high points, I'm probably going to wind up thinking, yeah, we're never going to be close. And that, that's fine. I mean, a, a highlight reel is not a bad thing with some people. But if you were to really tell me about your marriage, it would probably involve the times you didn't know if you could go on and a therapist had to help you, or the time one lost job or dreams or the miscarriage or whatever it was that upended the journey a bit, and yet you found beyond that a kind of strength you didn't know you had. You didn't imagine it when you fell in love. You found it when you journeyed in love. And suddenly the tools of survival were not erotic in nature. They are gospeled in nature. Like forgiveness. So this story is inviting us this morning to look back, look in the rearview mirror and see those failures and those, those fears, those addictions, all of those things that keep dogging your life and making you wonder if this whole journey is true and, and to ask, is it possible that I received my deepest blessing, not from all the things that went right in my life, but through some of these tough things I went through? We don't wish them on anyone. But we've come to know that, that there is a blessing that can come through them. When I hear that someone has lost a child, I'm horrified. Because I know, I have a sense of what that's going to be like. But I also know that there is the chance that over the long haul, there will be a wrestling with God and specifically with life that will lead to places you never could have gotten otherwise. Just like in some of your marriages, if you went through one of those times and you emerged from it, there's a kind of thickness to the relationship that you cannot describe in an easy-peasy marriage manual. And you, and you find out of this that it's almost like a new name is spoken over you. That there's something new about you that emerges, this new you that's, that's there. And yet you go on, having been blessed, having received some kind of new identity, but you still have that limp, right? We're not describing a new floating above reality, heaven on earth. No, we're describing reality. You still limp. It's still there with you. Right before I got up, I reached into my pocket and I don't know, I've got sand, white sand everywhere. I don't know. Now it's stuck here on the stage. I don't know. I, I guess I last wore this when I was in Malibu, got some of the, but I always think I get all the sand off and then you find out months later, the sock drawer, the jacket, the, it's there with you and that's, that's how these things are. Grief. Just when I think I'm done with it, it's, oh wait, no, there's a little, there's some there. These losses, these addictions, these things that dog us. And so we walk with a bit of a limp. But I think that makes us more interesting people. 
I wonder if some of that image can be projected onto the prophetic words in Isaiah 40. Now, thinking about Israel, Israel, the, he who wrestles with God, that nation is going to go away in exile and it'll look like all is darkness, all is lost. But the promise is that one day God will bring you home and you will mount up with wings like eagles, which is wonderful, except you run out of fuel eventually. You can't fly forever. And so the next part of the promise is, you will run and not grow weary, which is great. It's young women, young men. They can run, 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 run. But the greatest promise of all, and then after, you, after you're done flying and after you're done running, you will, you will walk and not faint. And that's the truth I found. And that walk, by the way, if, if you've been through a Genesis 32 experience, that walk is a bit of a shuffle. It's a bit hobbled. But we learn not to resent that. It's a part of the story. It's a difficulty we've gone through. But in honesty, God turned us into somebody that we didn't know we could ever be. And we received his blessing in the middle of us. And we realized, it's not Isaac. It's not Esau. It's not Laban. It was me that needed new expectations and a deeper encounter with God. I don't know what it is, but I've thought back through my life before about all of the people that have most shaped my faith. And, and they're different. They're different. Genders, different. Colors, different, different in so many ways, but the one thing every one of them has in common is they all have a limp. Not literally, of course, but they've got that. They've been down in the wrestling match. And they've emerged. And they limp along with these amazing stories and strength and resources I didn't know I had. When Diane and I travel, and usually I'm speaking someplace, I've seen how easily people gravitate to her. Because this is an amazing woman who's had to wrestle with God. She spent better part of a year at night crying in a closet reading the book of Psalms. Only to emerge... As a person who can now see life for what it is and joy for the day, but a different kind of joy. And it's my guess that one of the greatest resources in this church is that you've got a plethora of honest God seekers who keep walking with a wee bit of a limp. Let's close in prayer. We're not asking for these things in our lives, God. We don't know if we're up to them. But when we find ourselves wrestling over life's disappointments and losses and our own failures, as expectations we had and impressions we had are dismantled, I pray that there you may bless us. 
And we invite you, God, to do what you need to do so that we may be your blessing to this world. And now I pray pastorally for those who may feel like they're in the middle of the wrestling match right now. Sustain their faith. Grant them wisdom, grant them courage for the living of these days. And we anticipate the day they emerge with this limp and keep going in joy and wisdom. And now we pray this in the name of Jesus, the descendant of Judah, the fourth child of the second son of the second son of Abraham. Amen.